with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And it is the Friday edition, which means we have the Friday panel, our regular uh, host, Rez Krebs, is taking the week off, as so many people are doing this week. Isn't that crazy? Uh, but we do have a panel in studio, Art Betke, Peter Ewart, Nicole Fraser, and James Steidel to talk about uh, kind of a year in review today. And we're going to uh, start with international, then we'll progress to some national uh, topics, and then finish off with local stuff, which I, I know everyone is chomping at the bit for. But first, we'll start with the biggest news story, I think, internationally, and that is the uh, war between Israel and, we'll say, Hamas. They say it's the Israel and Palestinians, but I believe it's it's actually Israel and Hamas. Peter, we'll let you lead off with this. You're always well prepared. Uh, well, when we look at this, the the issue, the conflict that's going on at this time, you know, like oftentimes with the news media, they don't talk about, uh, you know, the period leading up to when this happened, the October seventh, when uh, the uh, Palestinian resistance. Uh, uh, attack the military base and uh, mm-hmm. kibbutzes in Israel, and you know one of the one of the things that led, or the most important thing that has led up to this, is the fact that Zionism, which is uh, the official state policy in Israel, is a supremacist apartheid ideology that claims that Jews are a chosen people in the Holy Land, and that everyone else—Arab, Muslim, Christian, or other non-Jews—are second-class citizens are not even citizens with rights. So for the last 75 years or so, there's been rampant discrimination, persecution, ethnic cleansing, and oppression against the Palestinian people, uh, whether inside Israel itself or especially in the occupied West Bank or Gaza Strip. So uh, I might add that many Jewish people also oppose Zionism and the Israeli government. But how things stand right now, if you're a Palestinian farmer in the West Bank, uh, you live in uh, a situation where Israeli settlers routinely come along with machine guns and seize your land, destroy your water wells, cut down your ancient olive trees, demolish your homes, and literally get away with murder. So you know, so uh, you, you have a systematic violation of rights that's been noted by Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, uh, UN agencies, and so on. It's gone on for many years. So uh, Palestinians have fought against this violation for many years, and many have been, thousands have been killed, wounded, and tortured, and imprisoned. Gaza Strip is even worse. For the past 16, for the past 16 years, uh, Israel has conducted a siege and blockade against Palestinians uh, using the Israeli army, the collective punishment of the population, limiting food, medicines, fuel, construction materials, banning of exports, limitations on movement, assassinations, you know, to the point where many describe it as a lar- Gaza is the largest open-air prison in the world. On October 7th, the Palestinian resistance broke out of this siege and uh, attacked the military bases and kibbutzes. The aim was to get hostages to exchange for over 5,000 Palestinians held in jail. There's a, f- a fierce fight took place. Israel has claimed atrocities that babies being beheaded put into ovens and so on. You know, these have been proven to be lies and fabrications. More evidence has been coming out that a number of the Jewish people killed were killed by the Israeli army itself that brought in helicopter gunships and tanks and slaughtered both Israeli citizens and Palestinian fighters. So Israel has used the, the you know, this uh, 
breakout by the Palestinians to justify a brutal bombing of Gaza that's killed upwards of 21,000 people uh, and, and so on. Uh, there's been calls from abroad for a ceasefire that Israel has ignored. And, uh, you know, we have a situation where there's huge opposition all over the world to what's going on. But Israel, backed by the United States, has uh, been defiant there. And what I might say is also, and this is a, a very dangerous thing, is that you have uh, various forces in, uh, in North America and Europe that are trying to make it a, a, a crime to criticize the state of Israel and a crime to criticize Zionism. This is very dangerous. Like, why should we, why should we not have the right to criticize whatever government we want in the world? You know, if you if we're not allowed to criticize the state of Israel or any other government, that well, the next step is that we're we're not going to be able to criticize our own government. So I think it's very important that we continue the discussion on this, whatever our points of view on this, but not allow anyone to censor the discussion, although that's building up at this time. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't want to not be have the ability to uh, criticize our own government. Uh, Art, your response on that. Oh, wow. Uh, that sounds like I was written by the Hamas propaganda ministry. Oh, ouch. <laughs> uh, no, though, that, those claims of the beheadings and burnings of infants and so on were not fabricated. The videos were uh, actually made and distributed by Hamas itself. So forget that. that, that that's nonsense. Uh, now, as far as the war in general, you got to wonder... If uh, the United States was responsible for it by uh, defeating Trump in the last election, because he had cut off all funding for Hamas, he had uh, frozen Iranian assets, and uh, had sanctions against Iran. When Biden got into power, one of the first things he did was reverse all that, released a lot of funds to Hamas and to Iran, and we do know that uh, the attackers were. Uh, the attack was planned, and uh, the, the attackers were trained and financed by Iran. So um, this, this is a, a good question. When, when Trump was in power, people were a little nervous about what he might do. Uh, you look at the other wars. Would uh, Putin have invaded Ukraine if Trump was there? Hard to say. And uh, now, because uh, Biden is such a weak president, we have uh, China looking at Taiwan and maybe thinking they might want to take it. They, they've they always wanted Taiwan, always claimed it's just a, one of their provinces. And uh, even uh, Venezuela is now threatening Guyana, uh, having destroyed their own economy by going total socialist. Uh, they see all the new uh, offshore oil rigs or oil discoveries off Guyana, and they want that. So uh, I, maybe the next war is going to be there. It looks like, uh, you know, 2023 was a, a year of war, and it, uh, it it seems like this is going to continue and maybe get worse. I'm not really looking forward to that on the international scene. Well, uh, you bring up an interesting point about uh, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, a year ago, that's the war that we were talking about. 
And that's still going on. It's dragging on. Dragging on, and exactly. I would say it looks like Russia will win eventually. They're, they're just so much bigger, and they have all the, the uh, finances they need. The sanctions aren't working. They're selling all the oil and gas they want. And as long as Putin is there, he will never give up. Okay, before we carry on, I'm going to add a couple of uh, items that I uh, I get most of my national and international news, well, international news from uh, comedians on on, on the television. Uh, Bill Maher, in particular, and John Oliver. Bill Maher made the statement uh, that if Israel laid down their guns, or sorry, if, if Hamas laid down their guns, there would be peace in the Middle East. Whereas if Israel laid down their guns... There would be no Jews in the Middle East. Peter, do you think that's a, an apt statement, or no? I don't think it's an apt statement at all by uh, Bill Bill Maher. Okay. You know, like you have a situation there where uh, the the whole idea originally back uh, in the late 1940s, the UN was the whole idea was to have a, 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 a Israeli state and a Palestinian state side by side. But Israel, from the very beginning, violated this. And uh, since then has uh, pushed uh, expansion and uh, in, in so many ways. And uh, you have a situation whereby many, many Jewish people now, like in North America as well, they also are critical of the, of the Zionist uh, imperialism or colonialism that's been uh, taking place. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, the... Uh, there is a possibility there could be peace in the Middle East, but it can't be. You can't have peace when you have a supremacist ideology that says right. that, that says that one one section of people is 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 superior to the others. One section has rights and the other doesn't. Right. Okay, so that brings me to John Oliver's uh, take on this, and he did a report that basically stated it's not so much Israel against Palestine as Netanyahu against Hamas. He's saying that it's really a case of the, the individual peoples aren't at war. It's the Israel, current Israeli government against the current Palestinian government, which is controlled by Hamas right now. Uh, Art, do you think that's a fair assessment? No, there's a lot of criticism of Netanyahu because of the intelligence failure. They didn't see this attack coming. And so uh, they're saying it's just him. But, you know, he is saying, you know, we're going to do this until Hamas is eliminated. Right. So, uh, yeah, you could say that, but the Israeli people are not um, against Netanyahu uh, except for his failure in the intelligence direction, hmm. uh, they're they're not saying, "Oh, let's roll over and let them walk all over us." Okay. One other comment: uh, the uh, after the First World War, after four hundred years of Ottoman rule, uh, everything was there was there was nothing left of the original people's countries and and administrations there. The British were in charge there, and uh, both Arab and Jew wanted their own homeland and it was divided 80% Arab and 20% Jewish the Arabs got theirs in the 1920s but the British refused to give the Jews theirs until 1948 they finally took it upon themselves to take it when they did they only got half of what they originally promised Hmm. James do you have uh, anything to add on this 
Oh yeah, there's like lots of lots of things, lots of points to bring up here. I mean, we talk about uh, a war between, you know, the whole idea of use, of using the term war. I think is a bit of a misnomer here. Like, you don't have a functional state apparatus in in the Gaza Strip. You've got basically an occupied territory that doesn't have access. You know, despite uh, these claims that Iran is giving us money, you know, it's not it's not like a state government that has the support of any other state the way that Israel, I mean, there's big uh, ships, multiple ships full of weapons have showed up in Israel since this, uh, this conflict started, you know, unloading uh, tons and tons of rockets and bombs for the Israeli government to use against basically a defenseless people with no air defense systems. You know, that you've got a couple, a couple guys with guns and some RPGs and we're calling us a war. You know, it's, um, it's a complete bloodbath. It's a complete slaughter of, of civilian people. I mean, if you want to, you know, this idea that, oh, if Hamas gave up the, the guns that uh, you'd have peace in the Middle East. I mean, how are you going to have peace when you've killed uh, like 8,000 children, you know, with indiscriminate bombing of civilian areas? I mean, you're, you're, you're bringing in this concept of collective punishment for the act of a few terrorists. Uh, that's not going to bring you peace. I mean, this, this is going to this is going to create uh, generations of more violence. And, you know, and, and, and just another point here, Reg, yeah. you know, like the IRA, the Irish Republican Army did a lot of nasty stuff during the Troubles. They killed civilians. Okay, mm-hmm. not once did anybody ever propose that we'd go and bomb, indiscriminately bomb Catholic neighborhoods in Belfast uh, to avenge those actions. Right, right. But, but, oh, it's okay to do that to Palestinian children, innocent civilians, journalists. I mean, it's just completely sick. Yeah. Uh, Nicole, anything to add there? I mean, I, I'd certainly have to, I think, agree. Is, oh, uh, is there a solution? How about that? Uh, well, I think just uh, nonviolence is the solution. I think violence breeds violence. And we're right. going to find that um, over and over and over again. And, I mean, uh, again, along the lines of, like, looking at the Gaza Strip, I remember sticking in my memory a picture. I think it was on National Geographic. Uh, I believe it was on the, the cover. And it actually showed, um, you know, the Israeli... Side, and then you could see Gaza and, and the Palestinians and how they lived. And I remember seeing swimming pools with the Israelis, like, you know, floating around in swimming pools and then having um, no water, like no clean drinking water, right. no access to f- food. Like, very, the, the living conditions are, I, I mean, I, I, well, they're, they're far from actual living conditions. And here we are having a discussion about, you know, oh, well, would there be no war if the, you know, Palestinians put their, um, or the Hamas um, put their guns down? I think that that is, it's, it, I think this was very opportunistic, uh, the timing of, of it all. Uh, and I think, you know, back to what Art was saying, you know, well, with Trump was here, and I, I really think he opened up the, um, opened up the, the opportunity. The opportunity for I think so many countries um, to look at uh, the right. the ability to go in and uh, take over peoples because uh, I think these authoritarian regimes um, and disrespect for people as a whole is is starting to become um, more normalized and yeah. that's what I'm concerned um, most about is that we can discuss this and and it seems like some of the time forget that we're talking about human beings. Um, you know, I'd like most people to ask themselves if we want to talk about war ending, you know, if someone comes in and kills your child, your grandchild, your sister, your brother, um, are you going to then just, uh, you know, put your hands up and say, oh, well, you know, fair is fair. No, that's going to go on for generations and generations. Yeah. And I think uh, I, I, I remember one uh, quote from Bernie Sanders, who also said that uh, the way 
the Israeli government had been treating the Palestinians in the region was uh, abysmal. Yeah. And this, we're talking about a, a Jewish senator yeah. saying, you know, this is actually war crimes if yeah. they don't, you know, look after the people that are really under their umbrella right now. Okay, uh, yeah, a problem that probably won't get solved by guns. Hopefully no. they can figure out a way. Uh, quick break, and we'll come back and move on to something, well, anything that's lighter, right? In a moment. The year was 1973. The Elvis TV special Aloha from Hawaii via satellite was broadcast to over 40 countries around the world, and Jim Crochet died in a Louisiana plane crash. It saw the end of Bread, The Doors, and the Poppy family, and the formation of Journey, Casey and the Sunshine Band, and Backman Turner Overdrive. Tune in for the top songs of the year as we present the Golden Year End Top 10 Countdown for the year 1973. Sunday night at 11, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hi, I'm Shirley Bond, the MLA for Prince George Vale Mount. I want to wish all of you a Christmas season filled with love and laughter. The holidays can also be a difficult time for people who may feel lonely or can't give their families everything they would like to. So let's all do our part to check on our neighbours, support those who may need a little extra help, and make Christmas a memorable time for everyone in our community. After all, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Need vehicle repairs? See Big O Tires. Famous for tires, Big O is also a full-service automotive center customers trust for expert service and repair. From brakes to tire changeovers to steering, suspension, and more, Big O Tire treats every vehicle like it's their own. Proudly locally owned and operated for 24 years, Gary and the team of the Big O Tires thank you for your tremendous support and wishes you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Big O Tires, 2000 Victoria Street, Prince George forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today. Wind from the south at 20 becoming north 20 this morning, a high of 5. Partly cloudy tonight with a low of 2. For Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 5. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're going to carry on in an international vein and then tie it into national. And we're talking uh, this segment about inflation. And uh, Peter, let's let's start with you. You uh, you kind of thought that this was an important uh, uh, story of the year to cover. Yes, because it, it, inflation is affecting everyone. You know, when they go to the grocery store and buy food or or buy other kinds of products and so on, like everybody's seeing it right right in front of them. You know, like one of the, and one of the problems right now is that they, from time to time, they they talk about how inflation is going down now, right? The politicians do, but they never clarify or rarely clarify that actually what's happened is that the inflation is baked in, and uh, it's not a question of it going down or whatever and all this. It's a question of uh, it not increasing maybe as fast, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a situation where. I think the the problem here lies with the fact that there's big monopolies and cartels, big business, is uh, raising prices and is gouging people in many ways. And there's been examples of this with the packing house, uh, the meat packing house uh, companies and so on being taken to task for that. You know, because what you're having right now is record profits for these big monopolies, but everyone else is... uh, you know, suffering from this. And uh, in my opinion, what's needed is uh, 
that workers need to fight for higher wages and benefits for one thing. Uh, otherwise, this inflation is going to significantly lower uh, standards. But we also need to restrict these monopolies in terms of what they can do develop better democratic processes so people have more control over these big business rather than just leaving it to the big business to raise the prices as they wish and gouge people and so on. We need um, uh, a, a better ways of doing things that make it so that the population itself can have some say over what, what's happening with the high prices rather than being left out in the cold. Okay. Art, uh, are these big businesses mon- 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 monopolies? Uh, some of them uh, are pretty close to monopolies, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's like uh, so many uh, stores uh, buy out the smaller ones. I mean, you look at uh, overweighty uh, Save On Foods. How many grocery stores has uh, Patterson bought out, and Sobeys, and them? They they, they got the big chains and. Uh, you know, the price of food over the past uh, three years has gone up 37%. And what do poor people really need that they can't do without food? And it makes a much bigger part of their uh, budget than, uh, than the, the middle class and well-off people. Uh, but a lot of this is, is not just is not the company so much as it's government, uh, government spending, printing billions and billions of dollars. I think $800 billion they've spent over the since the, the, the last uh, four years or something. Uh, it When you put that much money into the system, it's going to inflate. It, it devalues the money. And uh, this is happening uh, in a lot of places all over the world. And uh, so it's... It's, it's a big. You have to. You really want to uh, get inflation under control. You got to get government under control. They have to cut spending, and uh, and uh, you know maybe even uh, cut taxes. Instead, we have Trudeau increasing spending, and uh, he's got a whole bunch of new taxes for us coming next year. That's going to impact the poor people the most. Yeah, I noticed. Uh, well, actually, James, I'll let you speak on this. My thought, though, is that even despite the inflation and the increase in interest rates, it, it seems to me that it was a pretty busy Christmas season shopping-wise. Uh, uh, so I, I did a lot of these uh, craft fair markets. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of feel like that's uh, art did as well. I kind of feel like, and maybe he wants to chime in on this, but I feel that's kind of a good indicator of the economy. It seemed a little bit slower this year okay. uh, than, than uh, normal years. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it, with the way shopping works nowadays, everybody shops on Amazon. So it's, uh, how do you track that? And, you know, if, if um, brick-and-mortar sales are down, does that just mean everybody's just buying on, on Amazon? Right. Uh, you know, back, back to the food, the food inflation point uh, we were talking about here, I think, you know, not only do you have these, these monopolized kind of retail chains, I think we also have to look about the whole kind of fundamentals of the of the food production system from the get-go. And how that relates with fuel costs. Okay, so our, our, our food system is very energy in te- intensive. You know, we truck a lot of food around for processing. I mean, Prince George is a great example how we, you know, we have northern dairies. We send the milk to Abbotsford now to put mm-hmm. in bottles and then it gets shipped back, right? And whereas before we had uh, two, at one point I believe we had three uh, bottling plants in Prince George that were you know, so all the milk would just stay up here yeah. and uh, you've got way less trucking. So if you have not only something like the carbon tax, which is a small amount, but, you know, let's look at what the refineries are gouging us as far as uh, fuel costs are, are concerned and, and just the price of fuel in general. 
you know, that's going to have an inflationary impact on your food, uh, just based on how much everything's getting trucked around. So if you had a more localized kind of food production system, had more local food being, being produced with less uh, transportation requirements, you'd have uh, less inflation as a result of um, rising fuel costs. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's a big issue. I mean, it's, it, it feels, I don't know, I haven't looked at the numbers lately. I think the inflationary rate has slowed down at least. Yeah. Um, and. Okay, yeah. well, uh, let's finish off with Nicole on this topic and then we'll, uh, in the next segment, we'll get into a related topic. So, Nicole, your thoughts on inflation and I guess the big thing is, is, uh, food prices. Yeah, I, I think I've heard a lot, um, about, it's, you know, government, government spending, and that's where, why we're in the, the situation that we're in. And I'd have to, I'd have to disagree. I think in terms of, you know, is it government spending? Yes. But at the end of the day, I'd like to ask, you know, who is lobbying, uh, government for the spending? And, you know, going back to, I think, Peter's point, you look at these, uh, corporations that are, um, again, making record profits. Uh, there's no social responsibility anymore, corporate responsibility to the people, the communities, um, that they're profiting from. And we look at, you know, who controls government and who makes these decisions. And I would certainly argue that, um, it's big business that's making mm-hmm. a lot of those decisions. It's not government. And we happen to be the, you know, the big business is always saying it's competition. You know, we supply and demand. It'll naturally just right. even itself out. But yet they seem to be the only ones that actually are quite good at cooperating with one another. Um, and creating, I think, a lot of these monopolies that we're seeing. And, uh, that's a lot of what's driving up the, the, the cost of, I think, food. And again, we look at, too, Trudeau, you hear that a lot. But I mean, provi- look at food production. That's a lot pr- provincial jurisdiction. We look at protections. We had BC was one of the best, um, in, in the country for the protection with the ALR mm-hmm. lands. But then we see, um, again, private developers going in, pressuring government. A lot of the, great land, um, particularly in the lower mainland, uh, being sold off. Um, and, and then yet we have ALR that's protected in Prince George, uh, that isn't necessarily, you know, being utilized uh, right. for food production. Right. So I think we really need to look at the different levels of government, how they, um, you know, contribute or don't contribute to the issue. Um, and going back to I think what Peter said, I think we as a collective need to um, you know, demand. I think that there is more support at a local level to produce food locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, more along the lines of what James is saying, I think that will cut down a lot on a lot of those costs, like transportation costs. Okay. So we're going to segue into a, a new topic after the break uh, related, and that is uh, one thing the government does control, which is interest rates, which uh, affects housing and uh, how that's all come about and uh, become a bit of a huge, huge issue this past year uh, after this quick break. Indoor public skating season is on through March at Kopar Memorial Arena and the Elk Center. Sessions are available Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Private rental times are also available for birthday parties and special events. Full details and more information can be found under the Programs menu at thenorthedge.co. Whether you're an expert skater or a beginner, indoor public skating is open for you Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at Kopar Memorial Arena 
or the Elk Center. Hi, I'm Shirley Bond, the MLA for Prince George Vale Mount. I want to wish all of you a Christmas season filled with love and laughter. The holidays can also be a difficult time for people who may feel lonely or can't give their families everything they would like to. So let's all do our part to check on our neighbors, support those who may need a little extra help, and make Christmas a memorable time for everyone in our community. After all, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George on Central Street West and Vance Road. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're going to talk about housing, well, uh, actually interest rates to start with and uh, how that affects housing. And uh, might as well start with Peter again because this was one of your topics that you thought should be covered. Well, yeah, we have a a situation whereby... uh, uh, lots of people are getting hit hard by the uh, interest rates increases, uh, and and more is coming. Right, it's, it's estimated by the Bank of Canada that 1.1 million Canadian households are going to have uh, mortgage renewals coming up this year, and so they're, they're, what that means is that the, 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 the interest rates that they're going to be paying are going to be much higher. You know, so this is creating a situation, a real problem with uh, uh, the ratio of debt to disposable income. You know, yeah. you have a situation where 15% of every, 15 cents of every dollar in the average Canadian household is servicing the debt. And then you combine that with inflation. You know, what's happening is that the disposable income is getting really diminished and gouged out. And what that means is as time goes on and all this is that we're, we could be headed for a crisis of, of uh, overproduction, right, in the sense that uh, all kinds of goods can be produced, but people just don't have enough money to, to, to pay for them. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, so a crisis of overproduction or stagflation, uh, you know, which is another uh, result of this kind of uh, situation. But the, the housing situation, it requires, it's going to, rec- like, there's such a shortage of housing that is going to require something very big. And I think what's necessary is uh, the, the, the government itself has to take the initiative, as, as, like, like what happened after the Second World War with the Central Mortgage and Housing Corporation that built all kinds of army houses. I was uh-huh. raised in one of them, you know, that, that, that was necessary for, uh, you know, to accommodate all the people coming, you know, back from the Second World War. Uh-huh. And we need something on that scale. You know, otherwise, if we just leave it to these private interests, it's, it's not going to be solved. Yeah, they're only going to make the big houses that are yeah. a lot more expensive, right? Exactly. Uh, Art, your thoughts on that? Well, uh, first of all, I, does anybody know why the interest rates were so abysmally low? Like, they were down, like, around zero. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, uh, that's... Well, actually, that's a good point, because you know, one thing Peter was talking about was uh, the increased rate and yeah. putting people in a bit of a bind. But it's not like it was a surprise. When well, my mortgage no. came up for renewal, I knew it was going to be a big hit, so I was preparing myself ahead of time. Yeah, and a lot of people aren't. Um, but the reason, you know, many years ago, uh, we were looking at a recession, and the government didn't want a recession, I don't know, close to an uh, election or something. And so they just kept dumping the rates down, pushing them down, mm-hmm. down, down to avoid a recession. And then, of course, they couldn't put them up again because that might spur another recession. And so they, they kept them low for years. I, when, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, interest rates like you have now would have been fairly low. They were regularly more than this, you know, 6 7% uh, base rate or something. You know, that, that was uh, the, the norm. Uh, and people would buy accordingly. You, when you go to buy a house, you figure out how much payment you have, yeah, and how much interest there is on 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 that payment, uh, that determines how much of a house you can buy. Well, when the interest, uh, your mortgage interest is like two percent, you can afford a much bigger, much more expensive house. Yeah. That adds to the inflation. Right. And now, with the government having to raise the rates to uh, counteract some of the inflation that they are partly responsible for. Uh, People are so used to having these basement rates that uh, a lot of them weren't prepared. And, yeah, you, you can double the, uh, for some of them, they'll be doubling the amount of the payment they have to make on, on the housing. On top of that, our government is bringing in, I think somebody said it would be around 1.3 million immigrants this year. Right. Where are you going to house them all? We have a housing shortage and you're bringing in more than a million people a year. That's going to drive up the prices. Anytime there's a shortage of something, yeah. the prices go up. That's the, the just law of supply and demand. So uh, the government is like, you know, well, it's the old thing that Ron Reagan said, government is not the solution, government is the problem. More often than not. Uh, James, talking about the interest rates, have we had it uh, too good for too long? Was that, is that part of the problem? Yeah, I, I think in retrospect, the interest rates, I agree with Art there, they were too low for too long. Uh, there, you know, there's a number of different factors that went into the, the central bank's decision uh, to keep those rates low. I think, you know, inflation wasn't really a problem for a long time. And, and you know, like, like Peter was saying, we were, there was a concern that it would be, there would be deflation. So what you want to do is like create a lot of cheap, easy money with uh, low interest rates to basically make sure you didn't go into that deflationary stage. But uh, we kept it there for too long. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the excess capital in society went into real estate. It went out of, uh, it went away from more productive things like uh, fabricating and manufacturing things. And meanwhile, a lot of that stuff uh, moved offshore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've, we've seen a, a pretty weird kind of set of circumstances here hit our economy, and the end result is uh, is basically what we have now. If I eventually inflation did catch up to those low interest rates, and, and now we've got a big problem. Uh, you know, as, as far as the housing and immigration, uh, I, I you know the the cynical side of me sees these immigration levels as a way to prop up uh, the housing market. You know, which would otherwise kind of be in free fall at the moment with with the inflation or, or with the interest rates going up. Right. Okay. Uh, final words, uh, Nicole. Anything to add on that? 
Yeah, I think, it, again, it's, we're, we're tied into a, a really volatile global market. I think that's a big piece of this, too. It's we're, we're no longer operating in isolation. I think a lot of the sovereignty of, you know, countries, you know, mm-hmm. we hear this all the time, you know, Trudeau making decisions. Um, I think now that we have, um, you know, trade globally, we are tied together, whether we like it or not. I think as we see, you know, um, volatility uh, worldwide, I think it's a constant just need to response, you know, oh, well, you know, that the, there's too much, uh, you know, capital out there, so we need to raise interest rates. Well, that's not working. Well, maybe right. if we, and I think at the end of the day, we, again, need to look, I think, back at what uh, what matters and where we want to spend our money and, and demand, I think, a different way of doing a business for government. And again, you know, we can, we can blame government, but they, government is made of us. We vote them in. Um, they do our bidding and then we, we like to sit back and say, oh, you know, I can't believe the decisions they're making. But at the same time, around a comp, you know, sitting around a dinner table, you hear people saying, I don't want to pay more taxes. I don't want higher interest rates. You know, I want more affordability, but yet it's never about what they're willing to give up. And I think if we look more as, you know, a collective instead of the the short-term, you know, profits or opportunities, I think that's what's going to make um, make the difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I think as a whole, people aren't willing to give up much. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, something that stuck with me, it's lined in a book, but, um, you know, be greedy and um, it's greedy in times of fear and fearful in times of greed. And, you know, I think when we look at recessions, it's an opportunity for, I think, those who have capital to capitalize on on that. And, you know, who's hit? Exactly. It's the middle and lower class. Right. Okay, quick break. When we come back, we're going to delve into the uh, uh, housing issue and homelessness in a moment here on After Nine. The Almanica Arts Centre invites you to become a member and join their community of artists, art enthusiasts, and supporters of the arts. As a member, you'll be invited to members-only events, exhibitions, performances, programs, and activities. Also included are ticket discounts to events and workshops, a subscription to our newsletter, and the satisfaction of supporting the arts in our community. To become a member, fill out the membership form at theomnicaartcenter.com or email info at omnicaartcenter.com. Motorists are advised that 4th Avenue between Dominion Street and George Street is closed until the end of the month as repairs are being done on the UNBC Wood Innovation Building. The outside of the building suffered extensive damage during the explosion of the old Achillean Restaurant Building a few months ago. There is no through access on the block, so you will have to detour around. Once again, that's 4th Avenue closed between Dominion and George Streets through the end of this month. Bring your child down to Two Rivers Gallery to join SMART. Saturday Morning Art. Explore classes for ages 3 to 12 on Saturday mornings for January to March. From early learning classes filled with creativity and play to expanding art through self-expression, mixed media, painting, sculpting, and more. Sign your child up to enjoy the creative adventure. Registration and full details are available through tworiversgallery.ca or at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today, wind from the south at 20 becoming north 20 this morning, a high of 5. Partly cloudy tonight with a low of 2. For Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 5. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George, this is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're going to segue into homelessness and the housing crisis, and we're going to skip Peter because Peter already said that what should be happening is a government program to create 
less expensive housing. So, Art, your thoughts on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, a, a ringing endorsement. Uh, no, not exactly, but not a, 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 not completely against it either. Government has done things before. They could do it again. Um, but I'm a little bit nervous about government doing things like that because, uh, boy, uh, when government gets control of things, it, it's hard. It's bad for the economy in general over the long term. I mean, uh, you, you look at any uh, country where the government socialist policies, uh, it, it, it destroys the economy in time. Uh, could it work short term, though? It could work short term if you could ever convince the government to do something like that short term. <laughs> but the other thing they have to do, you know, cut way back on the regulations. I mean, I, I heard one of the big cities, the cost of regulations for building a house is something in the range of $200,000. Well, mm. yeah, this is a big city where it's still $1.2 million to buy a house. So, you know, it, that kind of stuff, it's, it's like business uh, leaders have said, uh, the thing that hurts them most is over-regulation. I mean, high taxes are bad, but over-regulation is, is much worse. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. And that that relates to uh, going back to John Oliver, who I get my international news from. He did a, a piece on actual uh, issues in San Francisco where they were having problems with homeless people and no facilities for them, uh, restroom facilities, and someone stepped up to uh, put in some free restrooms, and then he backed out of the project because it would cost him a million dollars just to get those free ones built. Yeah, because of the red tape and everything. And, and you look at here with the uh, uh, down at Moccasin Flats when the mm-hmm. volunteers start building those tiny little shelters for the people, and the city wanted to shut them down because yeah. they're not up to code, like those makeshift tents were up to code. <laughs> and and there point. was another fellow who was just on the news, uh, not in this town, some other one. He's he's got a small home, like for a while the tiny homes right. were kind of popular, and he's got one, and they. He's living in it, and uh, they want him to tear it down because, I don't know, it doesn't meet the, the, the standards Whatever, or yeah. something, but it's nothing wrong with it. Right. We have a housing crisis, and they won't let people do things like that. Right. Like I said, over-regulation. James, is that the main problem here? Well, I think it's, I think it's, I've got to agree with Art. I mean, I've, I've tried to get a, uh, a garage built in Vancouver, and I dealt with the city hall down there with the, the planning department. It was it was absolutely insane. I mean, not just the the cost of the of the licensing, but the the rules and that they had regarding like the shape that the oh, it was, it was insane. So I mean, I think I think that's part of it. But the other the other part is is just the model of construction. You know, we build these huge monster homes. Nobody's building the little homes anymore. And I, I don't know what's behind that. If that's if that's uh, well, I guess obviously market demand is people aren't demanding the little homes I, for some reason. So it tells me that, you know, the only people buying new homes are, are people with uh, a lot of money, you know, probably ties in with the interest rates. But I, I think the market's got to shift to smaller homes uh, on, on smaller lots or maybe not even smaller lots, but just smaller homes. I mean, why? if you look at the size of the of the average house, you know, from the post-war era to now, it's like, I, mean, I think we're like two to three times the size. So what was being constructed back in, back in the old days. So I, I think that's another side of things. Uh, I, I, you know, immigration is, is out of, is out of, um, 
is out of line with I think what we need as an economy and and what we can produce. You you can't like we've got a million new people in Canada this year. Like where you can't build a house a million houses in one year. It's just impossible. So you know the the goal of in, of immigration needs to be reconsidered. I think we need it's something we need to talk about. Uh, what's what's the point of it? Is it beneficial to Canadians? Is it even beneficial to new people coming into the country? I think a lot of rural people uh, from India are coming here whose parents are kind of, uh, you know, betting the farm that their kid's going to have a successful life in Canada. They come here. Uh, they have, you know, incredibly high rents. Uh, they're, they're getting an education at questionable schools that have popped up out of nowhere. And it, it seems to me it's just a, a scheme that Canada's kind of come up with to, to fuel the education industry, to fuel real estate prices, and to the 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 underlying beneficiary is the people that own land and own houses, which uh, if you look at the MPs and the parliament, you know, most of them are landlords. So yeah. Okay. A conflict of interest. Uh, interesting point about the immigration, because I think that probably uh, drives the demand for larger houses, because a lot of the immigrants come from cultures where you have two or three families in one household. Nicole, is that a possible factor? I don't think so. I think when we look at Prince George, for example, um, you know, for years and years, everyone said, you know, where are all the people coming from? I mean, our population hasn't increased. Right. Uh, but yet we're still um, building, you know, these monolithic homes and they still seem to be uh, bought up. And I think, you know, if I were to wager a guess, I think there is a lot of people from um, outside of Prince George that are, you know, buying these homes. They're still very affordable when we look at, you know, other places across uh, BC. So we, we talk about regulations. I don't think it's about regulations. It's about what we regulate and how we regulate right. that. And I think it's about having, you know, uh, proper accountability frameworks in place. Uh, when we look at housing specifically, um, you know, I agree with Art in terms of are the regulations, um, you know, in terms of building tiny homes uh, or, um, you know, accommodating things like what we see, you know, mocks and flats. Does that need to be addressed? Absolutely, it does. Um, but these are overlapping jurisdictions. You look at BC Building Code, that's provincial. Uh, and then, you know, everyone says, oh, the city's not letting them build. Well, I mean, the city, our building inspectors are, um, you know, they, they're operating under re- the regulatory framework of the province. Right. So if we want something different, then we as a collective need to demand something different from government and say, hey, and I think that kind of builds on what Peter's saying is we need to say, okay, what, what kind of housing do we need? And, um, you know, how can we make this affordable? And I think that, um, you know, when we see, um, you know, different cultures are actually living in homes together. I mean, it's an incredibly intelligent way to, to live. I think a lot of the problem is that we, um, as again, want our own home. We want our own things. We want, again, lower interest rates. We don't want to pay taxes. We want all these short-term benefits. Um, and, and we're not looking at the, the long-term and saying, you know, when we even look at immigration, um, and again, uh, you know, I don't have the numbers ahead of me, but I remember reading that they actually create more jobs um, in uh, the country than, than you know, Canadian residents do. Right. Um, you know, they come in, they, they're happy to share a home, uh, with each other to, to pool resources, capital, uh, in order to, um, you know, start new, new ventures. Um, and I think often we're, we, we like to just be comfortable and, uh, status quo and then we blame everyone except for 
ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and Okay, uh, so we'll blame it on Western culture. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, tackle the number one issue this past year and uh, the past many years in Prince George, and that's uh, homelessness in a moment. If you're making a New Year's resolution to make 2024 a greener year, the Prince George Public Library can show you it's easy being green. The library is holding a series of programs in partnership with REAPS, designed to teach you new ways to lower material waste and save money. The first session runs January 4th at the downtown branch of the Public Library, and we'll have tips on making your home energy efficient. It's Easy Being Green is a free drop-in event from 6.30 to 7.30 on January 4th at the downtown branch of the Public Library. Hi, I'm Shirley Bond, the MLA for Prince George Vale Mount. I want to wish all of you a Christmas season filled with love and laughter. The holidays can also be a difficult time for people who may feel lonely or can't give their families everything they would like to. So let's all do our part to check on our neighbours, support those who may need a little extra help, and make Christmas a memorable time for everyone in our community. After all, isn't that what Christmas is all about? There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location, or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George, on Central Street West and Vance Road. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. It's after nine on Prince George's Community okay. Station, ninety-three point one CFIS FM. Okay, so Peter didn't get a kick at the cat on the housing because you kind of started the ball rolling the previous segment, but we will get you in on the homeless situation. And here, I want uh, some possible solutions. We know what the problem is. Where are the solutions, Peter? Can I just add one, sure. one thing to the previous conversation? There? I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there's some politicians who are blaming the whole housing thing on immigration. Right. But the, 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 the figures don't really support that, right? According to the 2021 census, 41.8% of non-permanent residents live in, live in poverty. And in the last couple of years, uh, you had the population increase 3.9%, but rental prices shot up an astronomical 20%. So there's mm. other factors yeah. that are happening yeah. here. Uh, in terms of uh, solutions for things, you know, what, what is the homeless problem? What is the main thing with the homeless problem? Well, the main thing with the homeless problem is that people do not have homes. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's what's needed, right? We need to have a situation whereby the initiative is taken at various levels of government, all the levels of government, to actually build, build homes, whether it's for the homeless people, but also for the people who, uh, you know, are, are looking for, you know, first time buyers and so on, yes. right? Yeah. And, 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 and rent, senior citizens who want reasonable rents and things like this. So it's, it's part of a whole package. It's, it can't be separated, uh, you know, uh, you know, 
know, just focusing on one or the other, right? And so I think the, the critical thing is, is that we have to look at, okay, how can we, how can we build the, the housing supply? And I think that's where I, to get back to the original thing there, that's where government has to take a, a big push forward in terms of social housing, which they got out of 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. All levels of government got out of social housing. We need, we need a plan, a program, to build social housing, whether it's for the homeless people or the other sections of the population that are uh, deprived of houses for one reason or another. Right. Art? Uh, when you, yeah, it, it, they don't have homes. you got to ask, why don't they have homes? Um, I know uh, a young couple who uh, got out of high school, didn't work, had a couple kids, and they were they had a home they uh-huh. had government uh what do you call it uh, low income housing uh-huh. they managed to do that so why don't these people do it why are they living in tents um i i suspect it's got something to do with they chose a lifestyle uh they they're not working and uh when they do get their welfare check they blow it or whatever but uh it's it's basically the life they've chosen that leads to this, and uh, you know now the government has uh, is is going to the city has bought the knights in that's going to be for them and the for provincial government years, yeah. provincial government bought the uh, the North Star, which used to be the Connaught. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's got a lot of uh, rooms in it, and so we're going to give them all free housing. And uh, is is that going to make a difference? I doubt it. Well, I mean, I mean, for some that are yeah. in there, it'll make a difference. But uh, when it, okay, not we'll, so much free housing as a place to stay because these aren't houses, right? And that's what we're talking still, about. Still, they're housing. being housed okay. in them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Nicole, I I just. I don't think it's a matter of just building houses, uh, and I don't think it's a choice for many uh, people to be homeless or without a home. I think a lot of the unhoused populations that we see, uh, I mean, there's major, uh, you know, uh, mental health uh, challenges, um, addictions. I think there needs to be wraparound services provided, um, and it's not just a matter of providing housing. It's a very paternalistic kind of approach to mm-hmm. say, well, build a house and things will um, just, you know, miraculously turn around and I don't think that is going to be the answer I think when we saw you know a number of institutions um you know shutting down that helped people with um you know mental health uh you know, challenges and addictions. I think there was nothing to kind of replace that. And what we're seeing now is, you know, this, um, you know, a lot of people that are, are, you know, not living on, you know, the streets of Prince George, uh, in freezing cold weather, um, because they just made poor choices. I think it's, um, you know, a number of very complex, um, the multifaceted issues that we need to look at, I think, as a whole. Right. And we're not providing any, uh, you know, transitionary you know, options in terms of housing. I think, yeah. there, yes, housing, we need more, um, but I think we actually need to look at it from a much more holistic approach. Okay. Just to uh, reiterate what, uh, Art, or, yeah, what Art said, and that is uh, everyone is where they are because of the choices they made. And there are some outside forces for sure. But how do we get them into choices that are going to be better for them in the long term? 30 seconds, James. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think we all do make choices. Uh, I think uh, 
some of us make uh, bad choices, but you have to realize that there's there's a bigger system out there that uh, makes it easier to make a good choice or a bad choice. You know, it's not just the lack of available housing. I think there's a lack of, of quality jobs for a lot of people. You know, not everybody can be uh, an educated kind of professional uh, with with skills and computers, or whatever. There's a lot of a lot of people that needed those kind of board flipping jobs, and we lost those. Okay. And uh, there's no there's no real good options out there otherwise. Your 30 seconds are up. Uh, good news. Uh, bad news is we didn't solve anything. The good news is it means we have plenty to talk about in weeks to come. Everyone have a happy new year, and we will be off. On on Monday, but after nine, we'll return on Tuesday with Alan Wishart in the host chair. After nine is a weekday presentation of CFIS FM. After nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.